All in all, hell seems to be decent marriage therapy. I'm Sam. Kill your television before it kills you. I'm Tucker, and this is Stay Tuned on Stinker Madness. What's that smell? <laughs> I don't know about you, but I'm thirsty as fuck. Thirsty, thirsty, thirsty as fuck. Hey, look at me! Thrill me. If you come back in here, I'm gonna hit you with so many rights, you're gonna beg for a left. Thrill me. Beg for a left. Thrill me. Hello, and welcome to Stinker Madness, the bad movie podcast for bad movie lovers. I'm your host, Sam. With me today is Tucker. How are you, Tucker? Doing good. How are you, Sam? I am also doing good. I don't know if the movie elevated my mood or subtracted from it, but I feel like I had some eggs this morning that worked out pretty well, and I'm, I'm on the up and up. I'm on the even. Yeah, that's good. That's good. I feel like this movie probably just, you know... It probably doesn't throw your day off or improve it either way. <laughs> either way, yeah. yeah. Uh, why the why this one? Um, I was kind of because you you reached out to me this week, and I I was looking through Amazon Prime availability and cross referencing with uh, the Stinker Madness archives that I have access to, and uh, I this was one of a few that I came up with. And after looking at them, after staring at them for a moment, I said, that one yeah. sounds fun. John Ritter. I've always been a big uh, Three's Company fan. And I think I saw this when it was new or maybe newly out on video in the early 90s and uh, never again. So I wasn't I, – I figured it would be a stinker, but I, I thought – I was hoping it would be a fun one. Yeah, it – was it's been on the list for a long time, and it's one that I actually had uh, dubbed tape of when I was a kid, and I've seen this quite a few times. Oh, I right. loved this movie when I was younger. Oh, excellent! When I was younger, yeah. <laughs> it's not one you fall in love with as an adult, I don't think. No, I don't think it is. <laughs> Whereas when we did we did Real Men, and I think we talked about this maybe briefly during the Real Men episode. And have you ever seen Real Men? Uh, when I was a kid. Okay. Real Men is better every time you watch it, even as an adult. That thing. Yeah. It's electric shit on fire. It's awesome. I need, I need to revisit that one. I've, I, I have a, I have fond memories of it, but yeah, it has been a long time. So this movie came out in 92. It cost 25 million and only made back like 12 altogether. And that's worldwide. I think it only made like seven or eight in the U S. And so this is a major tank. Wow. Like, this did real bad. Yeah. And you can tell that it cost a lot because of how much is going on with the sets and the special effects. That all, the special effects seem, they aged pretty good. Yeah, not bad. It's not bad. And yeah, they're recreating just tons of different kinds of looks on different sets. And it, it seems like a huge production. For such it is a huge production. Uh, Twenty five million in nineteen ninety two is a large budget. Yeah. So not who like, who decided that was a good idea? Peter Hyams. 
Is it because now he a- did he have anything to do with the problem child franchise? Because I don't is that why I don't think so. anyone would put twenty five million behind a something being driven by John Ritter at that point? I feel like John Ritter is still hot. I was looking at okay. his filmography, and in, in 1992, he never got cold, but he got room temperature after this movie. This movie really cooled him off, uh, and then uh, Pam Dauber, who was in Mork and Mindy, mm-hmm. this pretty much killed her career. She did wow. stuff after this, but it wasn't much of anything. Jeez Louise. So Peter Hyams had uh, seen the script and he loved it so much that he basically twisted everyone's arm into making it. And uh, it's a Morgan Creek movie. It's they shouldn't have been able to spend that much on this movie. That's one thing. That's a really big budget for a sort of side studio. Yeah. Give me Uh, give me some Peter Hyams pedigree here, because how does he twist arms? Like what's his what's he got under his belt? This is the main thing I've got for the boring bullshit segment of the film of the podcast is that we're actually going to discuss whether or not we think that he's done a good movie. Okay. <laughs> he's got an illustrious career. I'm sure he's done movies that he's very proud of. And that's really all that matters in, in general. Like, yeah. You can't just like, oh, Peter Hyams is trash. No, he's done some films that I'm sure he's very proud of. And he's done a lot of films. The ones in question that might be good mm. would be. Capricorn 1, which I've never seen. Never seen it. 2010, which I've never seen. Did not care for it. I was told, because I'd already read the book, I was I was basically shunned from ever viewing the movie. Like, no, if you read the book series and you like it, don't watch 2010. Just don't do it. <laughs> so I was like, all right, I won't. Right. <laughs> and then Telephone with Bronson, oh. which is probably not very good. And but I have not seen that one yet, but I would be, I, I will, I plan on it because of the Bronson. Because of the Bronson, I plan on it as well. And it's on a lot of lists of where you dig through the deep corridors of the internet and find people that really, really love Bronson. And they, it ends up on lists with that people make with uh, the mechanic and 10 to midnight. And that oh. makes me think that telephone is definitely worth watching. Yeah. Anyway. I don't know if it's going to be any good. I mean, 10 to midnight's right up there in the, in the top echelon for me. So if it's being mentioned in that company, it definitely has to be on the, on the list. Films that he made that I know are not good hmm. would include Outland with Sean Connery. Have you ever seen that? No, but I have the original one sheet. Oh, <laughs> I've never seen it's a train movie. wreck. Okay. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's and it's not much fun either. Uh, Roman and I had a hard time staying awake during it. Oh, no. <laughs> Running Scared with Billy Crystal and Gregory oh. Hines, which we did on the podcast because it's one of the worst movies I've ever seen. I, I saw that as a kid. I just I mostly yeah, remember I, the Michael McDonald video for, for Sweet Freedom. I didn't realize. I, oh man, I missed the boat on that because I don't think I mentioned it on the podcast at all. And I'm oh, and whenever Billy. I get a chance <laughs> to mention Michael McDonald, I'm gonna I'm gonna fucking do it. Oh uh, yeah, you might have to next time you're with them, you should tell them because bring that up and show them the video that has Billy Crystal and Gregory Hines in the video too. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Sudden Death and Time Cop are also oh. on the list of films that are probably not very good. Time Cop, however, share 
I like Time Cop a lot, and he did The Relic, and I like The Relic a lot, but I don't know that they're good. Right. I think I like Mira Sorvino, and therefore I watch that movie. Uh-huh. Uh, and then I like Van Damme enough that Time Cop's one of his more lavish theatric features, I would say. Yeah. Yeah, like- a, And he briefly- Decent, decent bad movies there. I mean, but a good movie, probably not. Also, he did End of Days. I just did recently that one? I just recently rewatched that one. I like that one. How bad is it? It's, I haven't seen it in a long. I only saw it the one time. Um, it's bad, but I don't. I think the first twenty minutes propel me through the rest of it because Schwarzenegger's a cop. That he makes like the ultimate foul shit smoothie because he's that kind of cop. It's all and unshaven, <laughs> and he puts banana and he picks a piece of pizza up off the ground and puts it in and. And then there's a part where he's dangling from a helicopter, chasing a guy on a rooftop with his arms outstretched. It's one of the funniest things I've ever seen. So that stuff sticks with me and makes me think I enjoyed it. But the rest of the movie, I barely remember already. <laughs> but so Gabriel- I shouldn't pick that one for next week because I was kind of debating it. <laughs> I'd I'd be down for watching it again if you wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> that see that right there makes me think I should do it. We're doing end of days next week. It's been decided. All right. Uh, so after I think it's beyond a reasonable doubt with Michael Douglas, and it had a lot of steam behind it, and it tanked really hard. He kind of backs into doing the last. Uh, his last two films are, are Van Damme DTV movies, and so his his career sort of ends after that one. Rather than this, he he got a number of films after this, where he just talked about Relic was kind of a big hit. I don't know, though. Like, that's the thing yeah. we can't answer, because we haven't seen Capricorn 1, because everybody puts that as, if, if you want to see his best work, it's Capricorn 1, and I've never bothered with it. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I guess I guess the rest, what I have seen of his filmography doesn't, doesn't exactly make me go, man, I got to see his best work. <laughs> no, there's nothing that makes you do that. Yeah. yeah. You're like, oh, this guy did it. <laughs> this is the guy that did Running Scared. I don't know if I should watch anything else he made. So you're saying it's better than these. Well, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, all right. What are we going to do? Speaking of good, I can't say because I, many times on the podcast, I've already admitted that I am a, a Ritter fan mm-hmm. and it clouds my judgment on whether or not the Ritter is good. Is the Ritter good? <sighs> I think the Ritter is good at certain things and sometimes he's he's in the, the right things. And then sometimes the Ritter doesn't work. I feel like the Ritter had his physical comedy going on this one and it's a weird point that I'd like to make about the film early on is that one of the hardest things to do is actually direct comedy because yeah. everything has to work around the comedian on in front of the camera's timing. So it involves a level of coordination with the camera has to be just right. The takes have to breathe. So the joke lands and then has enough time for people to uh, digest it. And so the editor has a real, there's, there's a very hard labor on an editor when you're making a comedy film. And this movie has so much going on and so much oomph. They started pre-production and they were doing animation for the film six months before they even started shooting it. Right. So when you have this big of a machine, I think its biggest failing is that the 
the comedy got muddled because I feel like yeah. the writing is halfway decent. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. I think I, this tends to happen a lot with these movies that get real like um, they're technical and effects heavy and that kind of because there's a lot of comedies you watch that, you know, they're not necessarily well-made films or particularly well-made films even, but the the personalities and the writing and the way it's presented is is good enough that you're laughing so much it doesn't matter whereas when yeah. when you get bogged down in a lot of special effects and moving like cuz this is like uh you know you have to move from one thing to the next and a guy like John Ritter i feel like he gets kind of lost in it somehow he does because it's got too much going on to have somebody that's that slapstick. Yeah, because then really he's just a, magic. He's just another thing. Yeah, and yeah. that you really have to give him breathing room as far as screen time for him to really hit hard. And this movie doesn't have time to do that. It doesn't really have time for John Ritter to be in it and be funny because he he takes a while to get going on his on his when he's fumbling around and I mm -hmm. find it hilarious, but yeah, he does eat a, he gobbles up screen time when he's doing his comedy and they just didn't have room for it. Yeah. And this is a brisk 88 minutes or so. Yeah. In which they have to cram like 5,000 TV parodies into it. So it doesn't give him <laughs> a lot of room. Where are you at on Jeffrey Jones? Uh, well, <laughs> <laughs> I only I I immediately think of one thing now when I see Jeffrey Jones. Um Yes, it's not it's not Beetlejuice, it's not Ferris Bueller's Day Off, it's no. what is it now? Child pornography. I, and is there like pederasty involved too? Like I don't remember the specifics of the case, but Basically, he was slapped on the wrist because the only thing that they could prove was that he was doing the photography and not uh, anything else. But it doesn't really matter. Yeah, it's, he was taking the photos. So, yeah, either way, it's not like he was just in possession of something. Like He, he was producing he it, was, which I think is worse, I th right? I think so, too. I mean, either is terrible, of course. I mean, either way, you're He's taking part in a... Is he? Like I, I don't see him so much. And every now and then, I guess I do see him. I know I saw him. Well, that was a long time ago. It's getting. I'm getting old, so now everything feels like it was yesterday. It's like, oh, that was 15 years ago. <laughs> uh, it was the early 2000s, I guess, when it happened. But it didn't really get brought to light until about 10 years later. And I think that's one of the things that yeah. makes it such a weird case is that he continued to work and do some things like Ravenous. He was particularly yeah. good in. Deadwood, and, uh, he was on that. Deadwood. Yeah. Yeah, and it was, I think, on Deadwood the movie when they were shooting that, that somebody was like, wait a second, this guy got busted for child pornography? Yeah. And then after that, like, he goes to a town to shoot a movie, and the townsfolk are like, um, put a red flag on that guy if you're going to bring him into our town. Yeah. This is not okay. Yeah, for real. Yeah, so that's what I immediately think about. Um, secondarily, <laughs> if, if it's possible to remove that from the equation, um, filmically, I have, uh, you know, 
a rich history with Jeffrey Jones. <laughs> I always enjoyed him as a performer, you know, um, but this was, yeah, it's a little weird, especially when it's not like one of those iconic roles that you remember him for. Like I can still watch Ferris Bueller and not really think about it. Things like that. Cause they're just so apart from anyone. And they're so far apart from like, uh, it's concentration in my life is so far away from when that happened or when I knew about that, that it feels like a different world. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. And it's also that he's such a small piece of these larger great works that mm-hmm. it's like, fuck, you can't tear the guy, this guy's statue down without a lot of collateral damage. Right. Like you're bringing use down with him. You're it's like he's yeah. You're bringing uh, burden down with him, right? Yeah. Yep. And this one in particular is uh, it's real Jones heavy. I mean, there's a scene Very where he's Jones a heavy. bunch of Joneses. <laughs> yeah, he totally Van Dams out. Yeah. <laughs> one of the other reasons I like Time Cop is he, although albeit briefly, he gets to star with himself. That's always I, good. I find that there's no one, even Van Damme, has yet to realize that there is enough screen to have like four, maybe five Van Dams <laughs> in a movie. Yeah. I don't, I, why not try it? Right. Michael Keaton pulled it off. <laughs> uh, back to this film. Heather McComb <laughs> plays the daughter. I'm mentioning her because versus everyone else, she's like the daughter in Troll 2 stick out bad. <laughs> like she her lines are weird I'm yeah gonna, i'm gonna grant you that i wrote down most of the ones that i found oh. to be especially strange but she had no success delivering them she had no idea what to do with these lines and it and it just she just stinks i'd like to hear some of those lines oh <laughs> uh, we'll get to it when we get into the movie oh, okay i don't want to i don't want to <laughs> ruin it yet uh she ends up marrying vanderbeek really yeah they're huh. divorced. They're, they're divorced now. Oh, and uh, it's a strange thing. She doesn't seem to kick around with the rest of the bunch because she kind of sucked in this. But this movie, everyone seemed to be behind it, and they liked it because all these people work together again. Hmm. And uh, even because uh, um, Pam Dauber from Mork and Mindy, she is married to the NCIS guy, and, Mark Harmon. You know, not very long ago, she got David Tom, the kid that's not Macaulay Culkin. Uh huh. She got him, you know, some gigs on NCIS. So it's like they're still palling around, I guess. Oh, that's nice. They have a shared trauma. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. Maybe that's what it is. Like, no, this guy needs as much help as anybody. He was in Stay Tuned with me. Yeah. Okay. I can get him a couple jobs. <laughs> it's not like I it did my career that. any favors. Yeah. I think later on, Ritter is like, oh, I'll bring that kid in. He can play my son. He's good. Just, he needs help. He was in Stay Tuned with me. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, another thing that doesn't really help this movie is it's sort of marketed it really strangely. And they jammed. I'm going to read you some thing. Some of the artists on the soundtrack to this film that you probably didn't uh, even notice in the moment. Salt and Pepper or Salt and well, Pepper yeah. is obviously completely unavoidable. But beyond them. Yeah. Yeah. You've got Black Sheep. Cool Modi. Huh. X-Clan. Huh. The Ultramagnetic MCs <laughs> and Dr. Ice. Like, I don't know if that really fits with what the movie was trying to do. Certainly doesn't seem like it. What would you expect on this soundtrack? 
Maybe this is something for the questions portion of the show. <laughs> With, I know we can burn this right now. <laughs> what you'd expect on this soundtrack is it actually just a score. You wouldn't actually, yeah. but right now in 92, you can't make a movie without the soundtrack because they're flying off shelves. Right. So they just jammed them in here and they don't work. The salt and pepper thing works because it's actually, I think that's actually the music video for that recreated for the film, which is going to cost some bucks, but I think the closest thing and then like, it's a year apart from this is like uh, last action hero. It made me think of um, with all the like, you know, in movies, in TV jokes and all that. And yeah. uh, like, maybe I'd expect like, Ooh, hot new single from ACDC on the soundtrack. Like that one had, <laughs> you know, a big stay tuned. That's the name of the show theme song. Yeah. I don't know. The, the whole the whole soundtrack thing really was a was a foul period for film, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, it didn't help. And then it was justified <laughs> because of that Forrest Gump doing such a good job with it. I think that <laughs> Forrest Gump soundtrack is still like one of the greatest selling albums of right. all time. Well, that's you know one of those uh, compilation soundtracks where they pluck a bunch of already classic songs and bench them together but i'm thinking more of like the airhead soundtrack where it's like uh, some album rejects from i don't know kiss or anthrax or someone <laughs> and like yeah that's what they were a lot yeah. of time it was either like mega hits or the record company that we own wants us to jam all these b-sides in right because we can sell them that yeah. way Brilliant. All right, let's get into this. All right. The film starts with an elderly couple. Uh, Well, I can't tell. She seems older. She Uh, seems to be acting older than she is, and he seems to be not as old as he looks. Yeah, like later, I was like, oh, I thought he was a lot older than that, even though I've recognized that actor, too. Like, I've seen that actor and other stuff. But at the very beginning, I was like, okay, these people are old. (laughs) And they're making a really large bowl of popcorn. Yes. Were you it, like taken aback by how large that bowl of popcorn was? It was comically large. And that he couldn't set it down. Well, he, you know, I guess he was trying to, he had to put salt on it or butter on it to go back. And then he just carries yeah. it everywhere. And there's not a table big enough for it. You need like a, a shop workbench for that thing. It was huge. Yeah. And are they watching Doogie Hauser? Maybe. I couldn't tell what they were watching. It kind of all happened so fast because Jeffrey Rush or uh, Jeffrey Jones shows up almost immediately after yeah. the popcorn joke doesn't get enough time to play. And what's her name? Is it he's Murray and she's they're the Seidelbaums is their names. Yeah. But I can't remember her name, but she is like, get more i told you to put butter on the popcorn or whatever and he's doing that he just gets up and he walks in there and then the door bell rings or it's a knock whatever it is and immediately and with this tone she's like murray get the door yeah what the fuck man i mean murray a break i don't know maybe murray deserves this well maybe i don't know that well 
I don't know. If you're gonna if you're gonna keep living with the guy, you gotta give him the grace of a few seconds before after the first knock. I mean, he's already yeah. He's got he's dealing with the popcorn. Give him, give him a sec. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I'm gonna start make. How come you haven't got the door yet? The <laughs> bell is barely depressed. <laughs> yeah, and I've got an eight pound bowl of popcorn here. I'm gonna make T-shirts that say "Give Murray a sec." <laughs> <laughs> We're then greeted with the animation sequence to start the film, which mm. is fairly extravagant for uh, really any animation sequence in films. Usually. They don't go this big. There's a lot of really decent graphic design alluding to Superman. The TV right. is eating all of it. It's kind of an interesting, cute little thing. And then we're done with that, and we get a hair club for men commercial. Like, just straight up, they put it in there because they got to pay for yeah. this shit. The only one, I think, wasn't... This is not a spoof. It's just hair club for men. Right. Yeah, and... It's it's weird because it's like immediately the movie's got a tone of like early '90s comedies, right? So it's almost like the big title sequence felt strange to me. And even though, because it is an effects heavy movie, but the tone of it is so like Problem Child or something. It's supposed to be lighthearted, but it gets bogged down by how cool it's trying to be. Yeah. And how many times it's going to mention Satan? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so Pam Dauber shows up. We've we're immediately established that Ritter is the world's largest couch potato. Mm-hmm. Can't stop watching TV. He's horribly addicted. It's worse than heroin. And she's told him that he's gonna she's gonna rent out his side of the bed, and this has zero effect on him. Yeah, that's all he cares about. Is watching the shitty early '90s television he's got, and not even really anything good. <laughs> there wasn't anything good. You're on. right. That's absolutely true. There was once a week Sledgehammer came on, and then they canceled <laughs> that shit, and I'm still not over it. Yeah, I don't blame you. That was a good show. When are they going to reboot whole- that during all this rebooting business? Oh, by the way, AMC has option to reboot this movie as a series, if you were wondering. Really? Yes. Apparently, a lot of people like this. There is a cult following behind this film. 90s kids. I don't know. That's us, and we don't like it, apparently. Well, I don't know. Well, I always felt more like an 80s kid. (laughs) Well, maybe. I don't know. I I really don't like 90s pop culture that much. No, and if I look back at what I was wearing in the in the 90s, I'm completely appalled by it. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty appalled by the mullet that I had in the 80s though too. Well, so. sure. But I felt more I felt more at home. The whole sequence at the beginning of the film is being uh narrated by the son Mafali Palfin. <laughs> uh we find out that <laughs> I'm going to try that one again like six different ways. So <laughs> all right, all right. it'll eventually hit harder than that. <laughs> yeah, he's telling us about uh, the night had... it all changed. <laughs> Manal- Man- I, didn't, I can't even try it. Th- this one was Mapali Malfin. Mapali Malfin. Right. Or M- M- Mapali Talfin. Yeah. 
This kid's this kid's good uh, with electronics. Yeah, what, that we find out he's able to tap in coming to you live from the from the you know, work shed or something like that. He's set up his own. He can break into all of the broadcasts. Yeah, that's pretty good in the neighborhood. <laughs> that's really good. Like he's going to MIT, I think. Yeah, or jail. <laughs> well, the neighbor does threaten to call the FCC. Yeah. Which at that time you don't want the FCC coming down here in, in, in the nineties. They were no. they had a big hammer, the FCC back then. <laughs> Not so much these days. Yeah. What's up with that? What do they uh, do now? Deregulation. <laughs> do th- I don't know what they do now. <laughs> they get money. Yeah. <clears throat> Uh, Ritter's been watching too much TV. Mm-hmm. He's then a, I guess we find out he's a plumbing parts salesman. I'm like, I'd probably watch a lot of TV too if I just sold plumbing parts. It's fine. Let him. Let him be. Yeah, a plumbing supply salesman having a midlife crisis. There's a nice montage of him breaking shit and falling down, just having a miserable time of it. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Uh, his wife has had it with him so much that she throws his fencing trophy through the television. Mm-hmm. He was a championship fencer and, in college. Yeah, and she's like, I just need you to pay attention to me. And he's like, this is double overtime. You got to move out of the way. I'll pay attention to you when there's nothing on TV, I guess. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. He's seeming like, though, you should let him watch a little bit. He's being a pretty bad husband here. Yeah, he's being a terrible husband, and if he wasn't John Ritter, I don't think we would be having any of it. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Well, right right now, uh, Jeffrey Jones shows up, and he's got the remote. Right. And he's like, you know what? I can't. My marriage is falling apart. And he's like, free trial? And he's like, sure. Yeah, he's going to give him this huge satellite dish that gets 666 stations. 44 inch TV. 44 inches. Wow. This kind of luxury was unheard of in 1992. Yeah, we had like a 20 inch. I think, I don't know. I felt like maybe it was 13. It wasn't very big and it had a dial. And I remember my friends had like one of those console jobs with the remote. And I was Uh like, my God, what is this? Yeah. (laughs) Shangri-La. My uncle, he was, my uncle's a dentist, so he had some, he had some money, I think. So one time in the late 80s, probably, he had this uh, big screen. It's like a big giant magnifying glass. They put in front of a TV and it made it into a huge screen. It was all, you know, wall-eyed and shit from the curvature. (laughs) 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 That's the kind of shit people did to have big TVs. Even well-to-do people. That's the best you could do. Yeah. Have <laughs> you ever seen Empire on giant beer goggles through... Or on Laserdisc through giant beer goggles? Then you haven't seen Empire. Yeah. If you haven't barfed three times while watching this, you've never really seen it right. That's right. This is as Lucas intended. <laughs> So, yeah, it's a pretty sweet deal, especially when he whips out the free trial. 
how is John Ritter, ultimate ultimate couch potato, going to resist that? You can't. You yeah. can't. So, oh, it's free. I don't have a TV right now. This is really working out for me. I'm going to be able to kick these marital problems down the road a little <laughs> bit because I got this out of the way. <laughs> yeah. And, oh, and, and his wife, Pam Dauber, uh, Helen, Helen's her name. She uh, she she t- makes the ac- the accusation that she married uh, when she married him, he was a doer and now he's just a watcher. And so, you know, that's coming back. Yeah, it's condemning. Yeah. And he's like, uh, I need a satellite dish. <laughs> he's super pumped when the equipment shows up and she's like, got her suitcase and she's leaving. And he doesn't even notice. Can we talk about Because he's got to go adjust <laughs> the uh, reception on the dish. Before that, can we talk about Jeffrey Jones's exit? Okay. When he, when he hops in the car and says, enjoy your new system, Roy. <laughs> As they drive down the street and then and he goes, that's a dead end. And then he dri- the ground opens up and they drive down to hell. But I, I don't know. He didn't seem to find it suspicious at all. Like, I I feel like there's more wrong with Roy than just he watches too much TV. Yeah. He doesn't really think anything of when Jeffrey Jones is like, oh, fencing. You ever killed anyone? Yeah. Of course not. (laughs) And then tell me more about the TV. Like, Hold on. Just ask you very straightly if you killed anyone. (laughs) Yeah. Matter of factly, no big deal. But no, he doesn't care about this. <laughs> he doesn't. Uh, yeah, so his wife's leaving, and she's really trying to get him to pay attention. She's like, "All you got to do is look at me for like ten seconds, and I won't leave." And he's like, "This thing's on the fritz, honey." And she's standing <laughs> behind him with a suitcase. <laughs> yeah, it- and. There's something wrong with them. They'll eventually be sucked in to the satellite dish. And it doesn't look bad, but it's not as cool as Tron. No, most certainly not. Even coming, what, 12 years later? Yeah. Or, or however many Tron did years. a really good job. Agreed. <clears throat> How about that Three Men and Rosemary's Baby show? Yeah, how about it? <laughs> <laughs> it's it's top shelf jokes. Uh, the worst part is in the credit sequence. <laughs> oh God! There's a it's, bunch of burners that didn't make it that they threw it in anyway, and it's like, oh man, half the ones you kept fell flat. Yeah. Leave these, and they're just title out. cards. Like they didn't do anything with them. It's yeah. just like, aren't we clever? Look, we came up with golden ghouls. Oh. And murder she likes. I wrote them down. All right, go ahead. Okay, good. <laughs> I missed the first couple, but I started writing furiously. <laughs> They're sucked into a game show called You Can't Win, mm. which is every game show almost. Right. And uh, the prize is the Napper Crapper. The Napper Crapper. It's a state of the art recliner slash refrigerator slash television it's got television on it 
and uh and toilet it's you a just, great prize <laughs> yep for somebody that i mean this is like two rca jacks away from being the matrix uh-huh. <laughs> oh and you also win the encyclopedia satanica oh that's good yeah yeah this is what we're dealing with they said 25 million for this that sounds about right. Let's give you $25 million to produce this. It's hilarious. <laughs> well, we cut to the control room, and then we see where some of that $25 million is spent. This is like super fucking sci-fi. <laughs> this television control room in hell, like, yeah. this is an expensive set. Yeah. And it's got Eugene Levy really- in it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Eugene Levy's now here. Making jokes that are funny. Uh-huh. Nobody's paying attention. Right? They're funny. Always funny. It's just being a funny guy. I, I, yeah, there's he's he's gold. Yeah. Uh it gets lost in the scene because they do some really artistic silhouettes against the really extravagant science fiction set. And you're like, is this a John Ritter movie? Or is like Yes. The Earth's gonna blow up in a second here. This like reminds me of the control room and cabin in the woods. That I was thinking it reminds. I mean, the whole setup reminded me of cabin in the woods. After a while, um, I actually wrote that down. This is like cabin in the woods with TV instead of horror movies. <laughs> Burn the question now. Do you think cabin thing. in the woods used this as inspiration? I, I don't know. Maybe it hadn't occurred to me until I was watching it that they were similar, but. Perhaps. Again, there's a lot of people that like this movie. Last week, we were able to discern that, like, ice, everything in Ice Pirates has been done about 400 times by other movies because it's that beloved. Right. Yeah. Well, who's to say? I didn't, I didn't realize Stay Tuned had such a strong cult following. But also, you know, I was shocked when I learned that people liked Full House. So... You didn't like Full House? No. I didn't know that was the thing people liked. (laughs) Dave Coulier wasn't funny to you? No. (laughs) Cut it out. (laughs) Oh, God. I mean, was there a funnier joke than cut it out? Probably not. That's probably the height. That's probably the the ceiling on humor. You found it. (laughs) All right, comedy. (laughs) You can retire now. (laughs) Or... Cut it out. He just whipped out. He told that joke 400 times a day on television because he had the other show with that. uh, The fuck was that thing called? Jackalope. Remember that shit? Yeah. Wasn't that. Was it like a America's Funniest Home Videos type thing? It was America's Funniest People. Oh, yeah. So it was like they were trying to get every guy on that show to have a, a. home video clip show also john stamos didn't have one though i couldn't tell you why i liked full house other than bob saget and everybody's like bob saget's not funny and i'm like what are you talking about bob saget's super funny and then i find out later in life that bob saget is just a dirty fucking comic and had no business being on that show and i like him so much more now yeah I, I remember one joke on uh, on Full House, and it was when Joey had Uncle Joey had them at the store, the, and uh, the girls, and he said, "All right, peanut butter," and he goes, "Oh, 
Elvis peanut butter. You want creamy or hunka hunka chunka? And I think I remember thinking that was funny. (laughs) So, you know. Uh, Meanwhile, back in the film, we have uh, (laughs) the control room and we see it's uh, Sarah is her name. That's the the wife of Murray. Oh, okay. And Sarah Seidelbaum. Yeah, they're. On vacation, they think they're in vacation in Japan, but it's actually a Gojira movie, mm-hmm. and she gets stepped on, yep. and we don't know what happens to him yet. Right. But we see that, you know, oh, shit's getting real. So we get we, we find out that they have 24 hours, and if they can survive that, then they get returned to Earth, and if they don't survive that, then... You know, Satan gets their soul, but he's only signed a contract with John Ritter. He's only signed a contract with John Ritter. Also, we find out that this whole television system is just Satan's home theater, that this Mm. all this programming is for Satan. And then the guy that went to USC film school is like, (laughs) there's no (laughs) subtext in this. And then the. (laughs) a shining piece of truth in American television is revealed in one line and it's this is TV it's light amusements not fucking subtext (laughs) and you're like oh 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 right (laughs) so they're they're getting souls in regular ways too but this is just a way to kind of to to pad out their numbers right is that how you what you got yeah, they're padding out the numbers and they're, uh, you know, making sure that Satan has something to watch on TV. Oh, okay. Because TV's the devil. Exactly. We all know that. Uh, John Ritter and... Or what, is it, what was his Jack Tripper? Uh, Jack Tripper? In Three's Company? In Three's Company, Jack yeah, Tripper? yeah, Jack Tripper. Yeah, yeah. So Jack Tripper and Mindy, uh-huh. they get... Uh, uh-huh. They get whisked into the the Hell's WWF, and Lou Albano's there. It's always good to see Lou. Right. Captain Lou, he's the announcer. They've got got to compete in a wrestling match against some caped demons. Right. And uh, they're losing. He's losing pretty bad. Ritter's getting his ass kicked. At some point, though, Pam Dauber... Grabs a microphone stand and goes ape shit on these fuckers. <laughs> Just kicks the shit out of them. <laughs> She's fed up already. <laughs> I mean, anybody would be. This is a really missed opportunity. This is this whole movie. I feel like is just a series of missed opportunities because mm-hmm. I think the joke here. Is either leading in or right afterwards, she's like, I'm trying to fight with my husband. Right. What, that one would have that would have hit really hard right there, I think. Yeah. And uh, they missed that one by a mile. It would have given Ritter some things to do, like, oh, maybe. I mean, there was a lot that you could have done there. They didn't do any of it. Yep. You're right. Instead, we got to get on to the next set piece. Which is Northern Overexposure. Yeah, and this is also when uh, Mulally Palpin. <laughs> Funny yet? No? Uh-huh. All right. Yeah. 
I've got more. <laughs> oh, and 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 uh, Spike Jeffrey Jones, Spike uh, has he's got a real fragile ego, and uh, Eugene Levy suggested that the one person that made it through the twenty four hours and got to go back was Jeffrey Jones's fault. So Jeffrey Jones has now uh, put Eugene Levy into play to do field work in the shows. Is what he calls it. There's but he's no dis- banished him, basically, right? Yeah, he's sent him into hell, I guess. Uh, and he doesn't really give him anything to do. Yeah, it was. It seems like a bad move. When he says it, he's like, it's time for some field work. And I was like, I thought maybe Jeffrey Jones was going to go in and fuck some stuff up. But then he sends Levy in, and I'm like, but Levy just seems to want to help them. And he's like, fuck that guy. So I was kind of confused yeah. as to what his why he did that. Yeah, I guess he's supposed Eugene Levy's supposed to like go help him get killed, but instead he's like fuck this shit and he teaches him how to negotiate uh the intricacies of hell. Yeah. Which in the in the first instance in, uh is uh getting away from uh hungry wolves in an arctic wasteland. At this point, uh, the daughter shows up and calls the son hmm. a dweebnik. Right. <laughs> I had to write dweebnik down because it was one. She didn't know what to do. She didn't know how to deliver. She's like, you're a dweebnik. <laughs> and it's almost like she turns to the camera and goes, is that the line? That's, really? that's what you want me to that's, say? That's what you want me to say? Okay. <sighs> I'll say it. Dweebnik. Uh, meanwhile... And they find a no. Right? <laughs> what? Oh, mean, meanwhile, Smoani Ralpin, <laughs> oh, okay, has <laughs> Ralpin <laughs> figured out kind of what's going. There, there's something going on with the satellite, and he almost gets sucked into it, but he escapes. But gets his bike though. He has uh, a his bike, sweet BMX, and his sweet BMX then shows up in an episode of the beloved 1950s sitcom Meet the Mansons. And that's the first time Popani Pulpen is suspicious of the TV. Is that the first time? Yeah. Well, he's suspicious of the TV when it starts to, when the satellite dish tries to suck him in, I think. Well, yeah. If he's not, then (laughs) maybe he isn't going to MIT. (laughs) He's suspicious. It's the first thing on the TV, maybe, that seems too suspicious. Yeah. Yeah. And he's he's the, when he sees the bike, he puts it together. He's like, "Oh shit!" And mom think, and dad are in here. Let's say you're this MIT kid that's like super smart, and you can put this together right away. And you're like, so, "You know that thing sucked my fucking bike in there, and now it's on the TV." Now you've he's made the leap. He knows what's going on. Now you're in his position. You have to convince your sister of this. She's like, what are you talking about? Is this like a puberty thing? Yeah. Dweeb Nick. Dweeb Nick. <laughs> she almost makes it through the puberty line, but she's like, this line doesn't make sense with the things around it. And the director's like, yeah, you're supposed to be zany and you're not pulling it off. I've worked with fucking Van Damme. That's what he says to her. Gets yeah. right in her like, face. Were you doing Bronson pictures that later people will maybe appreciate? I was. Van Damme could say Dweebnik. He'd make it believable. 
Van Dam could say sweet. He could harmonize Dweebnik <laughs> while doing the two splits. other Van Dams. Uh huh. Naked butt. I mean, who are you to not deliver the line, Dweebnik? That's right. Spoiled kids. Uh, Jack Trepper and Mindy have been mm. made into cartoon form. And this cartoon, it was praised at the time that it came out for being so well done. I didn't think it was really any better or worse than the rest of the movie. I thought it was just meh, like anything else. Huh. Where are you at on this cartoon? Uh, yeah, I'm with you. I didn't think it was that amazing. It was praised at the time? Oh, yeah. Everybody's like, this is, wow. Man, if the movie would have been more of this, huh. it would have been great. It's just like a it felt just a Tom and Jerry style cartoon segment, right? Yeah. Huh. All right. It seems like a lot to be, it seems an odd thing to be uh, praising in a post Roger Rabbit world. Yeah. I, well, I think either uh, Chuck Jones or uh, Tex Avery did, which, whichever one wasn't dead yet and that died mm. like right after this probably is the one that did it. And so you automatically have to praise it, I guess. It's, it's well enough done. It's just, oh, yeah, it it's fine. It doesn't hit any harder than the rest of it. Yeah, it looks the right. The cat thing isn't funny. No, it looks right, though. It looks like a r real one of those cartoons. So, I guess, bully for you, I guess. Good job. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he realizes it's his parents that are in the cartoons, and then we're greeted with one of the jokes that I found funny. Mm. Different strokes. When it's just two guys dying of a stroke <laughs> differently. <laughs> That's a good show idea. That one landed with me. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. That joke made Columbus style landfall. I, I giggled pretty good <laughs> on that one. You know, hardly anything gets to the level of like spatula city and UHF or anything, but. Different Strokes is pretty good. Conan the Librarian? Uh, classic. UHF just does all of this so much better. Right? It does. <laughs> and it's weird because it doesn't need to even like uh, push the plot through the parodies. Parodies uh, just kind of exist within the movie. Jokes are allowed uh, to be jokes in that movie. That's yeah. what's going on there. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, we're now whisked into a film noir piece where he's a gumshoe mm. and she's a missing dame. Oh, before that is Dwayne's and Underworld. Oh, God. I think I didn't write it down because I hated it so much. <laughs> <laughs> they try to blend they Wayne and Garth and Bill and Ted and make them like zombies. Yeah, they actually asked Dana Carvey and Mike Myers to do this, and they're like, um, no, we're actually shooting Wayne's World the movie <laughs> right. right now, and this one's going to be successful. <laughs> this will be funny. So, hard pass. <laughs> and John Ritter gets to wear a shirt that says Sphincter Boy. <laughs> it's on Saturday Night Dead. Has got a banner oh, behind the audience. Oh man, what a great this was, joke! I was offended 
the entire time this was happening. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's probably the it's probably the cringiest part of the whole thing. Aside from like the the cringiest part of a movie that has a man convicted <laughs> of child pornography in it. <laughs> That's what I was gonna say. Aside from the chimo. <laughs> <laughs> I'd take 20 chimos in this movie if I didn't have to watch one more minute of Dwayne's Underworld no no boo boo I didn't hate it that much yeah I didn't hate it that much either Uh, but it, I found it really uh, weird that like they they were kind of aping the language of both Wayne's World and Bill and Ted. Yeah, they were. Yeah, it was it was kind of strange. Well, they tried to jam everything that was popular mm-hmm. to no avail into this film. <laughs> right. I didn't uh, sit through the credits. I, there may have been post credits, like, and don't forget these hits. <laughs> <laughs> There was. I mean, they tried. I, I did when they when they when they had uh, exasperated their jokes that they couldn't use and went to a straight credit scene. I didn't care to keep watching, so I don't know if they yeah. came back with with if the hits kept kept coming after the credits were <laughs> That's over. That's where or not. I stopped too. But then he runs up the stairs in Dwayne's basement and goes through another static white noise doorway, and now he's in the noir. Now we're yeah. back in your notes. <laughs> and we, yeah, my, I really must have hated that, that bad. Like, yeah. I don't usually not write stuff down. That had to be like five minutes at least. Mm-hmm. So I hated it so much that I didn't write anything down for five minutes. That's, that's, that doesn't happen very often. And that was a big it, selling usually, point for this movie at the time. I remember that being like kind of the cap on the trailer or whatever. Like, that was the thing that kind of caught, you know, kids' eyes. Because, like, oh, they do a Wayne's World part in it. Yeah, and then yeah. the kids are like, yeah, we're going to that next week. Yeah. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> I'm due for a revisit on the Wayne's Worlds. I think they're funny, but I'm yeah. not sure. Uh, the, I, I revisited them, like, it's been a long time. I'm ready to revisit them as well. But the last time I revisited them, I found it more... Less laugh out loud funny and more like, huh, I remember that being really funny. That kind of, but it was enjoyable still. Like, yeah, it's more of a smirk and tip your cap, but not as much laughing so much. Right. Yeah. But maybe that was the product of just seeing it too many times back then. Uh, John Ritter <laughs> almost gets enough time to do his comedy. Mm-hmm. Early on in the noir thing, he does some slapstick where he drops the gun. It's it's pretty funny. His he shoots some stuff off the wall when his gun goes through his pants, and his secretary beeps in and goes, "Yeah, you're shooting the office again." And he's like, "I know." <laughs> Classic. <laughs> if the movie could all be that, I would like this. If it was just. Dead men don't wear plaid shitty with John Ritter. This would be one of my favorite sure, movies. Sure, yeah. <laughs> that would be good. This is where we catch up with uh, Murray Seidelbaum. Yeah, Murray shows up and he's got his remote. He kept it. <gasps> and now he's like a he's like a mob boss in this noir movie. I think he owns the club, yeah. yeah. And I don't know if he's really a mob boss or if they're just like 
because the mob shows up and they're like, we're taking the place over. Right. This is a joke that's been done a hundred times with everybody having the gun, the band mm-hmm. having a gun, the the waitress has a gun. It's never been performed so ineffectively to my knowledge, however. Yeah. It's not, it's not good because a lot of people have guns, but there's still several that don't. So it's like, they almost don't, you can tell they're doing the joke, but it doesn't land at all. It doesn't. It it misses so hard that at one point I'm watching it and I'm thinking, uh, after Ritter finds his wife and starts dragging her off and he pulls out the gun that he still has, two people run by him in the shootout Uh and he kind of looks at him. He's pointing the gun at him and I'm like, it would have been funny if he accidentally shot those two people. And that wouldn't be very funny. It would just be funnier than anything that's happening right now. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like He's accidentally lo- <laughs> shooting a couple would be funnier than the jokes that they're trying to tell right now. I feel like this movie's taken a bad turn since Dwayne's Underworld. <laughs> I think that that We're was like, the left turn into shit. People should get shot and there should be more child molesters in this. No. These things have gotten really bad. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, Murray takes a bullet mm. and he gives him the remote. Yeah. And this is the point, even though I said I've watched this a lot and I used to like it as a kid, even as a, as a, a young, you know, 12 year old, 13 year old something, I thought immediately that it was a missed opportunity that they didn't start like kicking more ass the way that they've set up to the point where they get a hold of the remote. He's a couch potato. This is like his world bitches. Now they've got the power. She's proven that she will take out demons with a microphone stand. Like this is where the worm is supposed to turn on hell. And then it's like, Oh shit. We shouldn't have brought in the trippers and Morkum mm-hmm. Indy or whatever. Like this, this is the family that like, oh no, this is the most grievous error in history. They're tearing hell apart. Yeah, that that's that never how, happens. That's how it should go. You're right. It would be much more satisfying that way. Murray does a pretty good eat shit, Ben Kingsley, <laughs> and then <laughs> Devin Misalister. I think they're funny it's not funny I should be writing was I the one that wrote the jokes in this movie was it me it might have been he's he's like piecing together kit to uh, broadcast into hell I guess he's figured out something with the uh, radio yeah, the satellite dish, and he's taking apart his sister's stereo because he needs the parts. Even though he has them in his tool shed, he's like, "Well, I don't want to use any of those. Those are good parts. This is a this is a Sanyo. I can use the control bar out of here. Also, you're never getting this back." Yeah, is this where he jumps? He he goes over the fence to connect into like the power box on the other house. They he turns it on and he realizes he can't. He doesn't have enough wattage to actually effectively break into the satellite dish. So he has right. to go into the neighbor's yard and leech more power. And he goes over there and he connects like jumper cables to it. 
and there's a sleeping guard dog or a dog back there. And then he turns as he's after he's connected him, he turns and he's face to face with his dog. And the soundtrack's got going. But the dog just looks like he's a good boy. You know, like he's just all. Yeah. <laughs> but the soundtrack's going. It's really yeah. good. Dog's like, hey, what's up? <laughs> yeah. Do you have any? Do you have any, you have any sausages? <laughs> Super friendly dog. Super friendly dog that loves <laughs> yeah. sausages. <laughs> he makes it back. He pitches the cord up and then he's able to broadcast into hell. And we'll kind of skip ahead to where they're there. And they've now been they're in uh, the French Revolution. Right. And he's running, and he's, he's on the run, and he's in, in drag and disguise. Yeah. This doesn't, it's not very funny. He tries. Mm-hmm. I think there's some some stuff here that probably ended up on the cutting room floor that was uh, probably amusing with him in the dress, but it never made it into the final film because they were really hell-bent on these plot elements that don't really matter here or there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but after he gives a reference to Star Wars, because we can't haven't done a podcast in about two months that didn't have some sort of reference to Star Wars in it. Um, there's a reference to Star Wars where he's like, oh, I loved you in Star Wars to two of the executioners. They've, they've captured him. There was a whole thing with yeah. uh, two army or two soldiers that were thinking he was hot because that's the funny joke there. Although that man dressed as a woman, hubba, hubba, hubba. Right. That's hilarious. Uh, Bevan Misanister <laughs> then uses the voice of God. Uh-huh. Because he can broadcast his voice into the, somehow, into the show. So he's now able to stop the execution. The time limit expires in the 24 hours. It went pretty quick. Uh-huh. Seemed like they were only on about four channels. Yeah, it did go really fast. Considering. 24 minutes, maybe? <laughs> yeah. Seems Just, more like 24 minutes. It was like four segments of television. Because <laughs> we don't... That's another, I think, thing that doesn't work with this is that we see every second of them in this. There is not one second of them in hell that we don't see, and it doesn't play long enough. So we're like, that was 24 minutes. Yeah. There isn't any hiding. There isn't any sleeping. There isn't anything to allude to the fact that it's been that long. It's really been about 24 minutes. Right. I think you're right. Just something else that doesn't add up in this thing. (laughs) (laughs) So, if Carl was here, he'd be able to really evaluate the rules of the scenario that happens right here. Do you want to try to pretend mm-hmm. to be Carl for a minute? No. <laughs> do, you want, do you want to anyway? Just as to, it pertains to the rules of the contract? The rules of the contract. So, he decides, like, uh, he has to set John Ritter, Jack Tripper free. Because he had a contract with him, but because he doesn't have a contract with Mindy, he gets to keep her. And so he's basically going to take her, make her a damsel in distress in a Western, 
He's going to be a dastardly villain. He's going to send John Ritter back, but John Ritter is going to come back, obviously, for his wife, who he doesn't give a shit about from what we know about it. And, uh, yeah. I mean, is there anything else in the contract? (laughs) Like, why is she here if she's not under contract? Yeah, right. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, it's like if. I mean,. It's like if Rip Torn just showed up on the set of the Avengers. Yeah. And well, then did, is it implied that she like messed up her messed up the the satellite thing when she hit it with the broom or something? Because why does it have his bike? Like, why is anything but Jack Tripper in the TV? Exactly. Yeah. The contract doesn't make sense. And like, why is uh, Sarah Seidelbaum there? I'm starting to think this is some bullshit. This is some bullshit. So she's strapped to a wagon that's going to get hit by a train and the wagon's full Mm. of dynamite. That's how you do it. (laughs) There's a tarp on the dynamite. That tarp will disappear and reappear throughout this sequence. I didn't really notice that. Yeah, they didn't get good coverage on this one. (laughs) I did write down a good joke that uh, Jeffrey Jones told. She's like talking about how evil it is to do it. And he's like, comes naturally. My father was an oil company president. (laughs) Excellent. (laughs) And then he said, you like that one? How many child molesters does it take to screw in a light bulb or something like that? (laughs) It's just hard to watch him. I don't know. It's hard to watch. <laughs> like when I earlier this week, when I started reading about it, I was like, oh, fuck, we're not going to be able to dance around Jeffrey Jones on this one. You know, what's another Jeffrey Jones vehicle that reminds me of this movie is uh, mom and dad save the world. It's yeah. got like a similar vibe to this, I think. That one might be a better movie. I don't know. John Lovitz is really both- funny in that. <laughs> well that might be a you and me liking john ritter thing i think you and me might like john lovitz and a lot of other people don't oh well i think of... he's great so do i yeah i think he's funny so jack tripper is telling his kids to uh hunker down and then he says make sure those donuts are ready when i get back i'm gonna be hungry <laughs> Okay, well, unless he's insinuating that his children are able to make, make donuts, donuts, I feel like the donuts come ready. Make sure those donuts are ready. <laughs> they need to be cooled, not too cooled. <laughs> I don't want I don't want the chocolate to get on my hand, but I don't want it to be crispy. That's the cut. There's a there's a cut subplot where they uh, he had left his job. Uh, selling plumbing supplies and started a donut shop in the backyard and his kids work at the bakery. Yeah, his kids are the bakers. Mm -hmm. Or he just has really specific instructions where he's like, remember, put the box of donuts in the freezer Mm -hmm. for seven minutes, then put it on the counter for five minutes and I'll eat the donuts on the fifth minute. And then his wife gets hit by a train because his donut instructions (laughs) are... Overcomplicated. 
But, you know, that's how he eats them. And if it's not exactly the fifth minute, the donuts are not ready. The kids know this from years of beatings. (laughs) At minute five and 15 seconds, the chocolate on the donut has gone too soft. And then it's spoiled. We'll go in the garbage. No, you may not have it. I would love if this movie took that turn. It's like, (laughs) this was the last 10 minutes of the movie. She just gets hit by the train. He's yelling at his kids about making sure the donuts are perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Then he sees it and he's like, white and pink sprinkles. (laughs) Sprinkles! No! Jeffrey Jones is laughing. (laughs) You know I only eat Bismarck's and maple bars. Is is it a worse movie than this one? Probably not. (laughs) (laughs) So he goes back into the Wild West, and he's the man with no name. Mm -hmm. He's got the poncho. This is a a missed opportunity. Because they do the joke, but they don't do it justice. Because I just watched The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. And you know that showdown, that quick draw, the, what do you call that? What do you call it when people do that? It's like a duel. Like but, a duel. But they had another name for it, and I can't think of it right now. Yeah. Well, whatever the fuck that Cowboy is. Cowboy duels yeah. had a cooler name, I guess. So when you're having your little gunfight. cowboy shoot shoot uh, duel duel. Um, it's a gunfight. Yeah, a gunfight. I think gunfights are just like, bam, 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 bam. But anyway, you know, when you're in the middle of the town street and you're staring at each other and we got the Sergio Leone close-ups of the eyes and mouths and the guns and the holsters and the fingers hovering over them. And and Mm. in the good, the bad, and the ugly and all those Sergio Leone movies, when you get to that, it lasts forever. He does those close-ups, increasingly tight close-ups for like five fucking minutes before someone pulls a gun. And I felt like, mm-hmm. and in here, it's just like you get two close-ups and then, and then Mindy goes, today, Roy. And I was like, well, shit, you should have done that like four times at least. Yeah. I just felt like. The, the- making fun of, they were trying to make fun of what you're talking about, but yeah. they didn't give it enough time to even do that. Yeah, it didn't work. I I got it because I just watched it. But I was like, that didn't take long at all. What's she complaining about? Except for the fact that she's, you know, tied to a train track with a train coming. She could be impatient Uh, for that purpose, I suppose. She can be impatient (laughs) for that purpose. But the joke that they were trying to tell that you recognized didn't land. Yeah. And he doesn't do like, he puts the remote under his poncho. Like, that's not what you do. Now your remote's been shot. Also, remotes aren't bulletproof. You're dead. God. This movie got stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's about to get dumber because the remote's on the fritz and now he's on TNG. Oh, Jesus. TNG? Everybody is. Which one was that? The next generation, Star Trek. Oh yes, the next yes. Generation. Okay, good. I just got Star if Trek. If you're in the know, if you're I'm as dorky as me, I just got it refer now. To it as TNG, you're obviously not a Trekkie. I like the movies. I never really watched the shows, but I, I like the movie. I, I, I don't actually like the Next Generation movies either. I like the original movies, and I like the new ones too. They're from 
I've seen every episode of Star Trek, Star Trek of the Next Generation, Enterprise, Voyager, and about 90% of Deep Space Nine. Nice. Justin has watched every second of it, some of it twice. Wow. It's a lot of stuff. You want to get him started? Say no. blank <laughs> is the best Star Trek. And if Uh-oh. it's not Deep Space Nine, you're going to hear about it for a while. Oh, God. He's probably right, though. What if I say, um, does he care about the movies? Or is he more just in oh, the, the series? Oh, the movies are fine. No, the, the series is much better than the movies. Really? Okay. They're all, it's all good. Yeah. I mean, and it's not all good. Some of the later Star Trek movies are goofy as shit. This, the next generation ones are really awful, I think. But um, the even the goofy, like Shatner Nimoy ones, I enjoy. Yeah, those ones are really goofy. Uh, Genesis, I think it is, with Tom Hardy as young William Shat or young Picard. That is extremely oh. bad. Oh, uh, that one's yeah. I can't remember. It's like, how did Tom Shit. Hardy have a career? It's so bad. Is it called Genesis? No. Something like that? It's, no, not, not why Genesis. Can't I Nemesis? Think of it? Nemesis. 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 But Insurrection's the absolute worst. Is it? Or F- maybe this Insurrection is the one that. It, Tom, Hardy's one Tom Hardy's in, in Nemesis. I, I feel like. Okay. I feel like Insurrection's a little weaker. But regardless. I just thought maybe, you know, with my limited knowledge, I might be able to set Justin off by saying, like, Final Frontier is the best Star Trek or something. But. No, I think if you really wanted to set him off, you'd be like, Empire's the best Star Star Trek. Trek. That's the one where, where Star Trek, that's the one where, you know, Gandalf (laughs) saves the solar system. And you're like, yeah, yep. Blood is boiling. <laughs> All right. Good to know. Good to know. Uh, there's a bunch of <laughs> a bunch of Jeffrey Joneses doing his best Van Damme. Whew. He's Worf. He's Data. He's all of them. He's yeah. going to shoot the Ritter. Uh, the Ritter says, holy Shatner. Mm-hmm. He sure and does. now he's gone. That was a real, that was a, that was a big like money shot line. <laughs> and I feel like what happens next is the joke that they all knew was going to make this the number one hit movie of the summer. And that's when he's in Three's Company mm. as Jack, Jack Tripper. And it does the track in and he does the no. And you're like, that was it. Somebody really thought that was funny, and it's not anybody that watched this. Yeah. And also, like, I don't know. I don't know what the point of that joke is. I was like, is it to get us all like, oh, cool, he's on Three's Company, and then not give us any of it? Or uh, (laughs) just to acknowledge that he can't separate himself from it? Or, I mean, what exactly is the joke? I'm not sure. <laughs> he used to be on that show. Ha yeah, ha. and that he doesn't <laughs> seem to hate it because he tried Three's a Crowd afterwards and he did an episode of The Ropers. Yeah. And if, you know, 
it made his career regardless of how you know burdensome that might be for somebody you yeah. know you'd think at that point he'd be like you know yeah i did that show and it was a successful thing and people like it i think he was really heartbroken about hooperman not working out about what? that was critically acclaimed and hooperman where he was the it was the sort of comedy drama oh, where he was yeah. the san francisco detective and in the first season was like Ali McBeal well received and then it just never got the viewers and they kind of pulled the budget halfway through the second season and pulled the plug at the end. Yeah. Yeah. And he hadn't gotten his, uh, uh his, uh, critical reappraisal or bump from a uh, sling blade yet. So he's kind of in that no yeah. man's land where he's not having three's company style success and he can't seem to quite move on in a big way, at least. What really kind of hit him hard is that he was on top of the sex comedy genre yeah, skin right when deep. it fucking dried up. Yeah. And then he had to do the family comedy thing, and he's not as funny in that. Yeah. Even though I guess, you know, Problem Child was a big deal. I didn't care for it. They're not great. I mean, even if they're, you know, they satisfied certain audiences, they're not like real good quality comedies you know like even skin deep the blake edwards thing he did like mm -hmm. you know it doesn't have a great reputation for being like you know a great blake edwards comedy or anything you know <laughs> it's kind of blake edwards is the did that pink his panthers wife, right? right did he no i'm thinking of somebody else i know nothing about blake no, edwards that could be right yeah. Who killed his wife? We got to get to the bottom of this. <laughs> I got to find out about this. But Skin Deep was like the sex comedy in the mid 80s he did with Blake Edwards. And I remember it getting a lot of buzz because it was really like supposed to be raunchy. And it had a glow in the dark condom fight. I remember that. Remember that? It was like lightsabers, but penises. Right. So that was real, like, edgy stuff. <laughs> yeah, that was 89 that he did that. Um, but Blake Edwards also did, like, Mickey and Maude and Blind Date mm -hmm. with Bruce Willis and Kim Basinger. It's not. But he did all the It's like, not Pink Blake Panther Edwards. Movies. It's a different Blake. I was going to okay. put another connection in, but if he was in a, with a known murderer and a child molester, he's had some rough company in the film oh, industry, but Blake Edwards is not the guy I'm thinking about. Oh, okay, good. Good. I'm glad to hear that about Blake Edwards. <laughs> yeah. So he's then uh, he's in the Salt and Peppa mu music video, and uh, he's dressed. Jeffrey Jones. He's in a like Prince outfit, right? Isn't that a yeah, outfit? Yeah, he's wearing Prince a yellow wore? version of what Prince wore. And I don't know why. It's not funny. He's None of this is funny, and. I know that this is supposed to give a bump to the soundtrack and the whole thing. Uh, Jeffrey uh, Jones is the is doing the DJ thing. Yeah, he's got kind a of disrespect a... <laughs> to their artistry. Mm -hmm. And so they let Spinderella unmute the music video. That's who gets to unmute it. But it's like put Jeffrey Jones somewhere else. Spinderella's. A big part of that act is the other two. God yeah. damn it. 
You're right. You're right. It's an injustice. Child molesters have been taking far too many DJ jobs. (laughs) And it needs to stop. (laughs) I don't know why it's happening. So this is where I shouldn't tell the joke. Did you book the DJ for the bar mitzvah? (laughs) Got Jeffrey Jones. Uh... From Salt and Pepper. Well, where's your sound equipment? Oh, I left it at home. I just brought this camera. <laughs> wicka, wicka. <laughs> you gonna do some beatboxing? Yeah, whatever. Where are the sure, kids? Sure. Hey, kids. Oh, man. It's dark. It's dark. It'd be better if Shakes the Clown showed up. Yeah, it would. Shake shakes has a shakes has a good heart. He's just gonna get drunk and piss all over everything. Yeah, he's just an alcoholic. I'm sure, the house is fucked up, but your kids aren't <laughs> scarred for life. Ah, uh, all right. So after the salt and pepper music video, they hmm. I think they get sucked into the back to the six the French Revolution or something like that. Aren't they back in the Western? I don't know. Well, they have to have the sword fight, right? Oh, right. Forgot about that. It all gets such a mush at the end because they're trying to pack so many different things in. It's hard. Dolly Fasalister (laughs) is Uh able to transport a sword into hell. And then there's Swashbuckling, Mm -hmm. and he's the uh, co captain of his junior college fencing team and is able to best. Jeffrey Jones in fencing combat. I would think that like a 10th degree demon such as Jeffrey Jones or even the character he plays in this movie um, could (laughs) might be able to handle a sword fight with a college fencing trophy recipient. I mean, did you say he was co-captain? He was co-captain of the junior college of the junior college fencing team. This is the devil's help. He can't beat this guy with the sword. Okay. All right. Now, if he had a trident, maybe I don't know. All right. Just needed to change weapons. Mm -hmm. I just feel like if you're that that advanced, like you're in that high in the organization you should have skills like this well he went to a hell fight with a gentleman gentleman's blade that's a that's a mistake mm. mm-hmm. you're right yeah how the hell does he get back to the western i don't know because <laughs> even, even though this movie is called stay tuned at this point i think i tuned out for a minute yeah at this point i'm like ah, oh, it's getting late and this is a short movie and it's still going but he gets back there somehow. Maybe someone uses the remote. I don't know. I don't know. He demonstrates expert knowledge of the remote now that it, the movie's about to be over and we can't enjoy seeing what that would have been like. Yeah. And then Jeffrey Jones gets to go back to the the revolution movie. He somehow gets his wife out of there. Uh, 
and has changed everything about himself because he was a total turd that should have probably had his wife leave him, but he realizes the error in his ways, knows that he hates selling plumbing parts, and starts a fencing school. The end. Freeze frame credits. Freeze frame with him in his fencing gear. Yep. And then credits on side of the on a side of the screen while on the other side we get the title cards of gems like the aforementioned golden ghouls and murder she likes and facts of life support Uh (laughs) and fresh prince of darkness and unmarried Uh. with children I mean, how bad is that? David. Like, really? Yeah, like that in hell. Like, what is this, like oh. the 16th century Catholic <laughs> Church or something? Yeah. David Dukes of Hazard. It's the last one. I'd watch that. I would watch that one, too. But yeah, uh, Unmarried with Children kind of threw me, threw me off. What do you think happens in David Dukes of Hazard? I think it's pretty much the same show. Well, I don't think he's capable of fast driving or getting women or any of the things. He can't be one of... He wouldn't even double for Roscoe P. Coltrane. He's Maybe he gets, just too incompetent. He gets caught every week. He gets caught every week. How's the Duke boy not going to get out of this one? <laughs> he's going to say some other <laughs> shit that's stupider than the shit that he just said a minute ago. <laughs> His whole car, the whole General Lee is is all painted like a Confederate flag with like just an orange square on top. Yeah. It's just reversed. <laughs> Maybe his car's like has a clan hood over it. Oh, oh, that's his that's his like the car cover he puts on it at night. It's got eye holes <laughs> and a point. <laughs> ah Nazis. You got it at the same place they made the Oscar Mayer Wiener mobile. <laughs> yeah. We're like, oh, guys, you get to make a car for even bigger Wiener. And then they're like, okay, give him a price that'll get him to go away. <laughs> he accepted the bid. God damn it. We have to build that. <laughs> That's the end of us. Can we farm it out to somebody else? How do we get our name off? Yeah. This? How do we get out of this situation now? <laughs> Even the hint of us being involved in this is going to ruin our <laughs> company forever. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a good movie. Okay, so there's a lot of movies that were happening around this time that were like sort of doing the same things, even though like a lot of different ways. Um, Running Man. There's a lot of heavy commentary mm. on television in general and how evil it could become through this whole time period. And all of these movies have these like grim predictions of how bad television's going to be. Yeah. 20 years later, keeping up the Kardashians is worse than any of that shit. Yeah. Like where it actually went is much grimmer than the grim predictions. Yeah. I mean, the only thing it's missing, like we don't really have a real I mean, that I can think of. We don't, like, have a real televised death game. But other than that, everything's pretty much sleazier than all the predictions. It's sleazier than all the predictions. How how long before the death game? It can't be long. God. 
I hope not. I, I mean, I hope it's going to be long. I hope they don't do it. I hope they don't do it. Yeah. I hope. I hope so. Did you hear that Edgar Wright is doing The Running Man? I did not. He's going to write and direct a new adaptation of The Running Man. I I think that's a good, uh, a great idea that, like, I, I love the Schwarzenegger movie, but um, I think the movie not being a Schwarzenegger vehicle might be able to uh, dig into those ideas a little more, because I think it's pretty fertile ground right now. Sort of like how... Westworld cracked open a bunch of ideas that the original Westworld really never touched upon. Right. Yeah. So I think Even though I really cool. like the I really like the original Westworld movie, I do. Yeah. Me too. I'm I'm kind of and I think you know that I'm a little bit of a I'm like a Michael Crichton apologist. Mm. I don't know if you can be a I don't know if you can be a fan. You can be an apologist. Yeah. I really liked his films, uh, especially that one with Selleck with the spiders that were like erector set spiders. That Run away. Not only give you lethal injection, but also like hit you with a flamethrower and blow you up. Have you guys done that one? Like, whoa. Not yet. Oh. It hasn't been. I saw it. And then it wasn't on Netflix for a while. If it's back up, it's probably it, going to come into the rotation. I haven't, I haven't gone back to see if it's. it's uh, I think it's on it's Prime for viewing. I think it's on Prime right now. Okay. So I think that that was one I was considering. Do you have any questions? Oh God, I think we kind of addressed them in the conversation. Um, I was. Like I was curious about uh, if 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 this was the uh, the primary way we were gathering souls, but I think we just kind of answered that going through it that this was supplementary. No, it's, it's a side bin. Yeah, <laughs> it's, a, it's a side hustle that the the devil's yeah. got going. So he has something to watch. How do he you think, stories? How do you think the uh, Levy um, Eugene Levy? Uh, alludes to like a uh, kind of he calls it kind of the Geneva Conventions of the after afterlife, where part of the deal for the other side when he's explaining the rules of the contract, basically like he has twenty four hours to get through this, otherwise his soul belongs to us. Blah blah blah. It's kind of a deal we made uh, made with the other side, kind of the Geneva Convention of the afterlife. What do you think that looked like? And who's the other side? And do they have their own television soul gathering service? I don't know if it's television soul gathering. Isn't that what that uh, Angel and Demon show on Amazon is right now? Is pretty much the expansion of that idea. Oh, I haven't seen it. The one with uh, then there's the Buscemi. Is that the one? There's a comic book with uh, Hellblazer. Is obviously just all that idea. Oh, okay. Big Spawn was pretty much all that idea as well. Huh. Uh, there's a lot of this that. The war and peace between heaven and hell is apparently fertile ground for uh, graphic novels. Yeah, but I want to see it addressed in this stupid context with the uh, with the dumb TV parodies. Could we get that addressed? I'm asking if we know. could have a stay tuned sequel or the other side. Heaven television. <laughs> yeah. It's probably be, just yeah, people suck. playing harps. Ugh. You're like, really? Ugh. 
Hell's This better. is what we're going to do forever? Oh, boy. It doesn't work because you can't fit the word heaven into television. Like, you can't hellavision. Just doesn't work the same way. Have a vision sounds like half a vison. Hmm. And that's probably more entertaining. Yeah. Yeah. Pelvin Medallister. I want to say that Heaven TV would have to be good, right? It would have to be something that you're like, oh, man, this is amazing programming. But then I'm like, well, what what would that even be? Have you seen the 700 Club? That can't be Have you seen it? Like, why isn't that in this movie? Like, why isn't that part of Hellavision? That's what I'm wondering. That can't be heaven vision. They probably tried the 666 Club and were like really worried about the backlash on that. Right. Yeah. It's too bad. Have some balls, Hyams. Check to Dwayne's Underworld. (sighs) Good. Here's my question. Why didn't Dwayne's Underworld get its own movie after this? It's the only question I give a shit about. Excrement. Uh, remember when they all well, yell excrements? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's I remember that. That's so funny. Uh, okay. <laughs> Before we have to spend the rest of our lives talking about Dwayne's Underworld and turn it into our own personal hell, we're going to end the show. <laughs> Next week we'll be doing what did I say it was the end of days. The, End of days with schwas and uh, email us to talk at Stinker Madness. Get to us at forward slash or Facebook forward slash Stinker Madness and Twitter forward slash Stinker Madness and everything else with Stinker Madness on it. www.stinkermadness. For Tucker, I'm Sam. Get to the chopper. Mm-hmm.